Amen. If you want to open up your copy of Scripture with me, we'll be looking at John chapter 13 this morning. and We'll actually be bringing this great chapter of John's Gospel to a close. We've been looking over the last couple weeks at the beginning of what we call the upper room discourse, right? That after our Lord's public earthly ministry, He goes into this upper room with His disciples and he begins ministering to them. And we saw at the beginning of chapter 3 that this is based not on some selfish thing, but on his great love for his people. That he's now gathered together this new covenant community around himself. He's physically washed their feet, symbolizing their need to be washed and cleansed by him. And we saw a couple weeks ago how One has been identified as a betrayer of our Lord, a false professor, and he also is cleansed and purified from among them. But what we're going to see today in our passage is really the sort of contrast to what we saw in Judas. It's both parallel and contrast. That the passage that we'll be looking at today in John chapter 13, we see that another one of the twelve, namely Simon Peter, is predicted that he will later deny our Lord three times. Many of us are familiar with this account, with what Peter does in denying our Lord, but we'll be looking this morning mostly at this interaction between Peter and our Lord, and as we see this interaction, we see many things come to light that instead of Peter trusting the Lord, instead of Peter humbling himself before Christ, we see that Peter actually trusts in himself. He looks to himself for strength. He looks to himself for endurance and perseverance and puffs up himself in pride. We can see ourselves reflected in Peter in many ways. And what we are going to see today is that our Lord predicts his coming denial by Peter. We see at the heart of this our Lord's desire and heart for sinful people like you and I. And the work that only he can do in saving us and calling us to himself. And ultimately, what we're going to see today is that despite Peter's sin and despite you and I's sin, that it is the sovereign grace and mercy of Christ that is our greatest need this morning and our great need to rely not on ourselves, but on Him for perseverance in the faith. So I'm going to read our passage this morning. I'll pray for us, and then we will look to God's Word. I'm going to begin at verse 31 just for some context, but we'll be looking this morning at verses 36 through 38. And when he, that is Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your infallible, sufficient, inerrant word that you have given to us, your people. That by it, Lord, we might see and understand who you are and what you have done in the sending of your Son for us and for our salvation. And as we come to your word now, we come, Lord, recognizing our weakness and our great need to be revived by your word this morning. And so we pray, Lord, that as your word exposes our sin and exposes our great need, that we would not turn away from you in pride or in arrogance, but that we would rely on you, turning to Christ and trusting in him for everything that we need. We ask these things In the name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at three different things this morning. We're going to sort of break up this section into three different parts. The first thing we're going to look at in verse 36 is Peter's curiosity. We're going to see Peter's curiosity. The second thing we'll look at in verse 37 through 38 is Peter's confidence. And then thirdly and finally, we'll look at the paradox of perseverance. We first see in our verses a reference back to what we read in verse 33, that before our Lord's commandment, this new commandment to love one another that we spoke about several weeks ago, he says to the disciples, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, if any of you have children, you know the minute you tell them something like, I'm going to go somewhere and you can't come with me, you know what their response is, right? I want to go. (laughs) I want to come with you. Where are you going? I want to know exactly where you're going. And we see here that our Lord does not use his words flippantly. He uses the words that he wants to use precisely. And he says to them in verse 33, where I am going, you cannot come. But we see in verse 36, Peter, kind of like a curious child, cannot help but open his mouth and ask this question of Jesus. And we see that in the beginning part of verse 36. He says, Lord, where are you going? Lord, where are you going? Now that might not seem like a big deal, but notice what Peter didn't say. He didn't ask about this new commandment to love one another that Jesus had just given. He doesn't even acknowledge that Jesus said it. 
He doesn't even ask for clarification about what does it mean to one, love one another as I have loved you. He wants to go straight for the secret information that Jesus has not yet revealed. And so we see in verse 36 sort of this vain curiosity that Peter has. We see it come out. Where are you going, Lord? Where? Why can't I go with you? Trying to pry into these secret things of God. But we see in the latter part of verse 36 our Lord's response to Peter's question. He says, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. We see Jesus' response to Peter, while gentle and caring, is also still obscure and mysterious. He doesn't really answer Peter's question the way I think Peter wanted him to. What does this mean? What does this mean you cannot follow me now? Where could Christ possibly be going where Peter couldn't follow? I mean, we need to step back and think about this. Peter had been walking with our Lord for three years. He had gone everywhere with him. Peter might be thinking to himself, I've been following you around. I've followed you everywhere. What do you mean I can't follow you? I've been by your side when everyone left you. I confessed your name when the crowds abandoned you. What do you mean I cannot follow you now? And while we can sympathize with what Peter may have felt in this moment, we see in Christ's response the deeper significance of our Lord's words. The deeper significance of our Lord's words. That the place our Lord mentions He is going was not some town down the road, but was His path of future suffering and entrance into glory. That the path our Lord was going to walk was one that He must first walk alone. That the path our Lord was going to walk was one that He must first walk alone. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. It's almost as if he's saying to Peter, Peter, you don't understand. I am going to the cross. I am going to do the will of my Father. That As the incarnate Son of God, as the suffering servant, I am going to drink the cup that the Father has given me to drink. I am going to suffer for the sin of my people. I am going to confront the powers of darkness wading out into the deep waters of death itself. I am going to suffer. I am going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried for you, Peter, in your place. And not only that, but I am going to also rise on the third day. Be resurrected. That death will not be able to hold me. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, entering glory as the resurrected Son of Man. Heaven itself opened up for unworthy sinners. I am going to glory. I am going to eternal Sabbath rest for you, Peter, and in your place. 
Don't you see, Peter, you cannot follow me in this. You cannot follow me in this. You cannot go before me. I must walk this path alone. But it's very interesting what our Lord says at the end of verse 36. He says, but you will follow me afterward. You will follow me afterward. What does this mean? I believe here our Lord is not only speaking of and alluding to Peter's future suffering as he will die a martyr's death for our Lord and by implication all of God's people that will face suffering for their faith, but he's also pointing to Peter's future glory, the confidence that he has that Christ will preserve him to the end and all of God's people by faith. So Jesus is saying, you will follow me afterward. It just not will be the way that you think. But we see in the remaining verses that Peter does not understand. <laughs> he doesn't understand what our Lord is saying. He does not humble himself. He does not lower himself and trust the words of our Lord, even though they are few. And instead, his vain curiosity gives way to his fleshly confidence. And that leads us to our second point this morning, Peter's confidence. That we see in verse 37 what, what is in Peter's heart, what he's feeling in that moment, he speaks from his heart. And he says in verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Why can I not follow you now? What do you mean I cannot follow you? Why can't I come? He's not satisfied with our Lord's answer. He wants to know why. Why can I not follow you? And even though he questions our, Lord's, our, Lord, our Lord here, he questions him. He's saying, why, why, why? We can see, in a sense, Peter's heart behind this. I liked what Matthew Henry had to say. He said, though Peter was inconsiderate, he was not insincere. <laughs> right? Though he was inconsiderate, he was questioning our Lord. He was not insincere in his question. And this kind of reminded me, <laughs> if any of you have ever seen the Lord of the Rings movies, the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, there's this scene between Frodo and Sam in The Fellowship of the Ring. Towards the end of the, the first movie, Frodo is leaving the fellowship, this group of people that he's been traveling with, and he's about to go on his mission to destroy the one ring of power in the fires of Mount Doom. And Frodo gets in this boat to cross the river to go alone to do this mission without anyone that has been with him. And his friend Sam, who has been with him from the beginning, sees him leaving and he runs after him. <laughs> and he chases after him. And Frodo says to him, Sam, I am going to Mordor alone. <laughs> I'm going to Mordor alone. And I love what Sam says in the movie. He says, of course you are, and I'm coming with you. <laughs> of course you're going alone, and I'm coming with you. 
And I think we can kind of see this in Peter here in verse 37. Why can I not follow you, Lord? Why can I not come after you? I would do anything for you. He's confused by this. He's upset by this. And while he is indeed sincere, we see ultimately that he has confidence in himself, in his abilities, in his own strength. Because we see at the end of verse 37, he says, I will lay down my life for you. I will lay down my life for you. It's almost as if Peter says, of course you're going to the cross, Jesus, and I'm coming with you. But Peter, we see, is too confident in himself, in his own strength, in his own ability And if you remember in the movie, Sam wades out into the water to follow Frodo in the boat, but he goes out beyond his depth. He can't even swim, and he almost drowns trying to follow after Frodo. And I think we see something similar in the case of Peter, that he is sincere in what he says, but he ventures out too far. He genuinely cares for Christ, but his confidence is now in himself, in his abilities. And while it might sound self-sacrificial, this idea of laying down his life for Jesus, it is actually founded in self-confidence. And we see the pride of Peter, we see the sin of presumption of Peter, thinking he is something that he is not, his sense of self-sufficiently, I will lay down my life for you. Peter thinks he can do this without Christ, that he can rely on himself, that he is indeed strong enough to do this by himself. But as we know, Peter has this entire picture backwards and upside down. It is not him who will lay down his life for Christ. It is Christ who will lay down his life for Peter. It is not Peter who will lay down his life for Christ. It is Christ who will lay down his life for Peter. I love what Augustine said. He said, laying down his life is what the Lord was going to do for the servant, not the servant for the Lord. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 10? That the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is how he is going to serve, by giving of his own life. And what's so amazing to think about is this is what our Lord had just demonstrated in bending down and cleansing the filthy defeat of the disciples. He's saying in a physical picture, this is what I came to do. I came to humble myself, lay down myself for you, not the other way around. Peter, you've gotten it all backwards. And we see that in our Lord's response in verse 38. He says, will you lay down your life for me? Peter, you don't understand what you're saying. You don't understand what I came to do. Oh, Peter, don't you understand your weakness apart from me? Don't you understand your total inability apart from my saving work. You don't know what you're saying. 
And we see it is with this knowledge that leads our Lord to say what he says in verse 38. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. We see finally the prediction of Peter's denial. That instead of dying for Christ, Peter will deny Christ. Instead of laying down his own life, Peter will seek to preserve his life by denying the Lord Jesus. Instead of identifying with our Lord in his sufferings and in his persecution, Peter will disown him and deny that he ever knew him. And it's amazing, in the Gospel of Matthew, Peter even objects to what our Lord says here. He says, no, I would sooner die than deny you, Lord. He objects. He says, he resists this prediction. But as we see in Scripture, what our Lord said indeed happens. And we read in Luke 22, Peter's denial of our Lord. Luke says, and when they had seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval about of an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. (laughs) And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And these are some of the most piercing words in Scripture that I can think of. We read in Luke's Gospel that the Lord turned and looked at Peter as he was denying him. And Peter remembered the saying of our Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter, who said, I will never deny you, denies our Lord three times. He is broken over this sin. He is shattered. All of his confidence in himself is gone. All of his self-sufficiency is leveled. And all of his pride is utterly and completely broken in an instant when he realizes what he has done and the grievous nature of his sin. And that leads us to our third and final point this morning, the paradox of perseverance that it's really at this point that we need to sort of step back and see that it is in Peter, in his fleshly confidence, in his vain curiosity, in his cowardice and denial that we see 
a picture of ourselves. This passage is like a giant mirror reflecting back to us what we are often like. And you might be thinking to yourselves, what do you mean? I would never deny our Lord. I would never betray Him. I would never turn away from Him. I would never do something like that. How can you say that this passage is like a giant mirror? What do you mean? But that is exactly what Peter thought. He thought to himself, I would never do this. I would never betray our Lord. I would never deny Him. This was Peter's thinking to a T. He was so confident, so sure that he would never do this, thinking that he would sooner die than deny our Lord. But that's precisely what he did. And so this shows us how we are exactly like Peter in our own thinking, presumptuous and proud, self-sufficient and self-confident, thinking higher of ourselves than we ought, trusting in our own strength and denying Christ daily. This is what we do every single day. Maybe we deny Him explicitly to our family and co-workers, pretending we do not know Christ and denying Him outwardly, as Peter did. Maybe we deny Him with our words and actions, speaking in ungodly ways and acting as if we never knew Him or had been changed by Him. Maybe we deny Him when we choose our sin over our sanctification. We deny Him when we choose our temporary comfort and pleasure in this life over the internal and imperishable riches of the life to come. We deny Him. And we deny Him when we think we can preserve ourselves, being proud and self-sufficient in our faith, thinking we could never fall, we could never turn away, we could never fall into sin. And this, brothers and sisters, is the paradox of perseverance. The paradox of perseverance. That it is actually at the moment when we realize we cannot preserve ourselves and truly see just how needy we are that we are actually standing on the most solid rock. It's actually when we see and recognize our great weakness and the greatness of our sin that we are depending most on Christ and see the greatness of His power. I love how our confession puts it. We read it this morning. That the perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, not upon their white-knuckled obedience or their own ability. But what does it say? but upon the free and unchanging love of God, the perfect, never-ceasing intercession of Christ, and the abiding of His Spirit of grace, preserving and keeping them to the very end. And what's so amazing is that this is exactly what we see in the rest of Peter's story. This is exactly what we see in the rest of Peter's story. That in John 13, we see this contrast between the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter. Both are treacherous acts against our Lord. 
But the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what's the difference? What's the difference between Judas and Peter? What's the difference between true saving faith that perseveres and false temporary faith that betrays our Lord? And the answer this morning is not found in us. It's not found in our abilities, in our strength, in our wisdom, but it's found in the sovereign love and mercy of God and the perfect, never-ceasing intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read about this in Luke chapter 22. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Satan wanted to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But what does Jesus say? I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail that your faith may not fail. This, brothers and sisters, is the perfect intercession of Christ for His people, preserving, sustaining, and keeping them. And we see it is ultimately only because of His perfect sacrifice of Himself, Christ laying down His life for Peter, that is the ground and foundation of Peter's salvation and his ultimate perseverance to the end. And we see at the end of John's Gospel, in John 21, it is only after Christ has died and been resurrected from the grave that He comes to Peter, not to rebuke him for his denial, but to restore him. It's amazing in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, we can imagine how Peter might have felt. The last time he saw the Lord, he was denying him. And we can imagine that Peter might have been wondering, is Christ going to shun me? Is he going to cast me away? Is he going to disown me? But in this beautiful picture and act of symmetry and restoration, our Lord comes to Peter. And where Peter had been asked three times if he knew Jesus, we see our Lord ask Peter three times if he loves him. Where Peter had denied our Lord three times, saying that he never knew him, he now responds three times, confessing his great love for Christ. And where Peter before had said he would follow Christ, but did not, our Lord now turns to him and says, in verse 19, follow me. And we can extrapolate on that and say that it is even unto death that Peter will follow our Lord. That Peter will follow him just as our Lord predicted in verse 36, you will follow after me. Peter was also crucified because of his faith in Christ. And he didn't deny him at the end. He was actually crucified upside down so that he might not be killed in the same way that Christ was. He would suffer a martyr's death just as our Lord had suffered. And in a similar way, we all will suffer for our faith. But Peter also would be preserved to the end. He would not deny our Lord at the very end of his life, but would even go to death proclaiming his faith in Christ. And so we can see Christ indeed preserved him to the end as he will all 
of God's people. And so as we think about and contemplate this passage, the application is really right on the surface for us to grab. We don't have to dig very far to think about how this applies to us. I loved what one Reformed theologian said. This will be our first point of application. He said this, let us learn our own weakness. <laughs> let us learn our own weakness. That may we ever be aware of our own weakness as Christians and as believers. Our hearts, as we read this morning, are deceitful and wicked above all things. Our spirit might be willing, but our flesh is indeed very weak. Peter let his curiosity get the best of him, and his own confidence was his downfall. He was looking to himself and not Christ. And we all struggle with this to one extent or another. And that's why I'm so comforted by Paul's words in 2, Timothy, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, the Lord says to Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecution and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew the importance of learning his own weakness and not running from his weakness, but rather boasting in it so that he might be preserved. But the second thing we see in this passage is the difficulty of perseverance. The difficulty of perseverance that our faith as Christians will be tested. Our faith as Christians will be tested. Our perseverance will be difficult. That's why it's called perseverance and not coasting or autopilot. It's called perseverance. It will indeed be difficult. Our confession is very clear that we, like Peter, will fall into grievous sins and maybe even continuing them for a season. From the temptation of Satan, the weakness of our own flesh, neglecting the means of grace, we, like Peter, in our sin, can grieve the Spirit of God, harden our hearts, wound our consciences, hurting ourselves and others in the process. And it's important that we see this this morning. Peter's denial of our Lord is no light thing. It's not something to just be winked at. It is a serious, grievous sin to deny our Lord or any of the sins that you and I could fall into and commit. And so it's important for us to think about that, that our perseverance in the faith will not be a gentle walk on the beach. It will be difficult. It will be with hills and valleys, dark times where the providence of God seems to be very difficult and hard. But we can be comforted by what Scripture says, and I love how our confession puts it. It's talking about the difficulty of our perseverance. And then it says, nevertheless... True believers will renew their repentance and be preserved unto the end through faith in Christ Jesus. 
that this is the preserving and keeping power of Christ for His people. Their repentance will be renewed. Our repentance, if we are in Christ, will be renewed. Even if we fall into sin for a season, Christ will preserve us. So the question is not if we will have difficulty in our perseverance, it's when. Maybe it's death in our family that causes us to question God. Maybe it's suffering that we experience. Maybe it's sin in our own lives, temptation to walk away from the Lord that causes us to wander. And so this morning, when we fix our eyes on Christ, praying that He'll refine us as gold in a fire, and He will renew us unto Himself. But the third thing we need to see this morning is that Christ is the one that's made a way. Christ is the one that has made a way. It is only because Christ did what that we could not that we can now walk with Him. It is only because Christ went where we could not that we can now follow after Him. It is only because Christ first went to the cross that you and I can now daily pick up our crosses and follow Him. It is only because Christ conquered death that you and I can now face death without fear. And it is only because Christ atoned for our sins fully and finally that we can now seek to put our sin to death. Our prayer this morning should be that we be like Peter, who the moment he heard the rooster crowed, he broke down and wept. May the first sign of the conviction of our sin cause us to break down and weep, to turn from our sin, to turn back to Christ, and to rely on Him and on His Spirit for strength. That as we contemplate and think about what Christ has done for us, He went to the cross first so that we might follow after Him. This is what He's done for us in His grace. May we rely on Him every hour of every day, knowing Him that perseveres us, Him that preserves us, and Him that will lead us to glory. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your patience with us, Your dear children. That if we're honest, Lord, we're a lot like Peter. Confident in ourselves, confident in our own abilities, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. And it's to our shame, Lord. Because you have given us everything. It is only because of what Christ has done that we can even come before you And so why would we not throw ourselves upon you day after day, relying on you to sustain us and keep us? It is only because of the intercession of Christ and your sovereign love and mercy that we are even believing this morning. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that as we go through our week and as we seek to follow you in this world that is dark and full of unbelief and sin, as Satan seeks to tempt us and pull us away from our fellowship with you, help us, Lord, to look to Christ, to fix our eyes on him, relying on the Spirit to give us strength when we cannot, knowing that in life 
and in death, you will abide with us. Help us, Lord, this morning. We are weak. We're frail. We need your help, Lord. And we ask and pray all these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.